Luke chapter 9, so you can find that. be helpful to have your Bible. So if you can find one in front of you, then grab it or share it. And um, just pop that over there for now, otherwise I'll stand on it. And um, it's Luke chapter 9. We've been going through uh, Luke's. Luke's book, his kind of account of Jesus' life and what he did here when he was on earth. Um, And we've been going through that sort of for years now, I guess. (laughs) But instead of doing it all in one go, which really would take two years, uh, we've been splitting up. But we're back in it now till Christmas. So I love Luke. I think it's an amazing book. So I'm really excited. Okay, when you've got your Luke 9, you can just sort of pop it on your leg and relax. It's... um, If you want to know what verse we're going to be doing, we're going to do verse 37 to 50. So once you've got that, you can just relax. Try and get my Bible to stay open. It won't. Okay. All right, well, I thought we'd start this morning by... um, I was going to do a little bit of a survey to see if you're like me, okay? Um, Are you someone who's concerned with what others think about you. Yeah, there's a... Yeah. <laughs> oh, phew. Not the only one then. <laughs> um, I find that if um, I hear about something happening and I'm not involved and I wasn't invited, that I feel a bit sad and I start to wonder what's wrong with me and why don't they like me and why didn't they <laughs> invite me? Um, Yeah, I don't know if you're like that. And I also find that if people um, compliment me or say, oh, Lou, you're just a really nice person, I feel a little bit better. (laughs) Now, anyone agree with me? Yeah. I think you're normal. I think you can just relax here. Just That is quite normal, I think, for human beings. In fact, we know that being liked and being kind of included and thought well of is kind of part of our culture, isn't it? In fact, it goes a bit mad. People feed off it, don't they? Um, if we think about the celebrities and we look at Hello! magazine, they're kind of all feeding, aren't they, off this image of what people think about them. They, they're enjoying it, actually. It's nice that think people would like to be like us because we are so great. Um, but the reality of that is, is kind of the flip side, isn't it? And that's when you see how celebrities, they really struggle when something's written negatively about them in the papers or um, if there's a comment made on a chat show. And in, when they write their books, obviously, so we can insight into their lives and appreciate how great they still are, um, they often say about how much they struggle with depression Um, anxiety and feelings of just not being worth anything at all Um, and and that's the kind of sort of sad sort of reality of it isn't it that's why we struggle so much when we get criticized Um, so today we're going to look for a way that we can sort of work towards being free from this because in Jesus there is freedom isn't there so there must be freedom from this Um, if we start with a very basic fact that we aren't actually created to be in that position, are we? We're not created to be adored and worshipped um, and and people constantly tell us how great we are. 
actually, because that isn't what we're made for. We're made to give that, aren't we? We're made to give our adoration and worship to God. So when we kind of try to get that from human beings for ourselves, that's where we start to have real problems on how we're living our lives. So we'll think about that a little bit later on. But um, the words we're going to look at today are found in Luke and his um, biography of Jesus' life. Okay, Now, Jesus wasn't someone who uh, was all about, look at me, look at me. Often he kind of withdrew or ran away from crowds. So it's quite different maybe to some of us. So let's read um, Luke chapter 9. I'm going to be reading verse 37 to 50. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seized him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is the least amongst you, all who is the greatest." Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Okay. Um, Yes, great. Um, We've got a picture here. Some of you will know it. It's a picture of the Transfiguration, okay, by Raphael. It's an interesting one, maybe not one we often see in our kind of style of churches, but um, here is a picture. Um, And the Transfiguration is happening simultaneously at the time when the disciples are trying to drive out this demon, okay? So the, the painter here, if you look above... He shows the depiction of Jesus in between Moses and Elijah and the disciples sort of waking up and seeing this. And below it, he shows um, the disciples struggling with this boy he's possessed by a demon. So he wants to show that these two things 
are happening at the same time. In the top, we see Jesus revealed in all his power and his majesty who he truly is. And they hear this audible voice of God, the Father, saying, this is my son, listen to him. And meanwhile, we've got an entirely different thing going on. Well, just down the road, literally. Literally just down the road, a complete contrast. We need to understand, firstly, about this boy. Now, when Luke writes, he wants us to grasp, to get involved with the characters. So firstly, we've got a boy. Now let's imagine he's about seven or eight, and he is being attacked by a demon. We read these things. He screams, he shakes his body, it doesn't leave him until he's exhausted, there's not an ounce of strength left. And in the Mark and Matthew's account of this same incident, they add to it that this demon would often throw him into fire or into water to drown him, and it would render him mute. So even in that, he's not able to express what's happening. Maybe he can't even cry out. And I now want you to imagine that this child, this seven- or eight-year-old boy, is a boy that you know. Okay, he's even someone um, that he's your child or somebody, someone else's, you know. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how when Emily was eight months old, she became really ill. Um, She had high temperature. We were pushing up to 40. Um, We were totally, she was crying and crying and crying. We couldn't stop her. It was hours. We were phoning the NHS direct. We had to drive to the, um, you know, the uncle doctor. And I just remember those feelings of um, just absolute terror at what was happening to her and the utter exhaustion as well, emotional exhaustion of being in that situation. But this child, we read, it's happening to them all the time. That was just one night. But imagine nearly all the time, continuously, year after year, This poor little boy is being shaken and thrown and damaged and burnt. And he is your only child. This is the kind of thing that Luke wants us to understand. And here, as you come in desperation, and I know how desperate I was to get to that doctor that night to tell me, to give me an answer, to give her something. And I'm sure that this father must have tried everything that he possibly could. He comes to the disciples who he hears is able to do this, and then they cannot do it. You can imagine just the immense disappointment. We read that he begged the disciples. And I don't think that that's an underestimation. I would be begging those disciples. But they don't do it. In fact, they just move on. But then there comes news that this guy's leader, the one who's been teaching them, he is coming. And we read that the father shouted, 
from the crowd. My life, would he have shouted from the crowd. Can you imagine, if you're in that situation, how much you would be willing to shout from the crowd for Jesus. You would be yelling and you wouldn't be letting anyone stand in your way. And he cries, this is my only child. And let's look at Jesus' reaction in verse 41. I have to find it. (laughs) He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation... Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. It's a bit of a strange reaction. You know, when I read this, I was like, what? What? What is he doing here? He's got cross. And sometimes I think we can be a little bit kind of Jesus. He's meek and he's mild and he's loving and he's caring. And yes. But he gets cross. The first thing that shows us is there is a righteous type of crossness, isn't there? Anger that's flown out because we can't get our own way is one thing. But here we see that Jesus is showing a different kind of anger. He is showing an anger at injustice. He is showing anger at the fact. Something should have happened. But actually, they haven't asked the true source of power for this. They're relying on themselves. And as Jesus talks to this father of the boy, we read again in verse 21 to 23, the following. I think it's 21. No, 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 no. It's not. Sorry. Wrong version. Oh, sorry. In Mark. Sorry, Mark 9. I do apologize. We look at a different version. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible For the one who believes. Believes in what? Believes that Jesus can do it. Something maybe no disciple or no doctor or no human power is able to do. To smash the hold of Satan on this poor boy. This uh, demonic force is sent on a small, innocent, vulnerable boy to destroy and to to lie and to ruin him. But Jesus is here and he is a loving God and he is angry that this has gone on so long. Is it possible? Everything is possible with Jesus. Jesus rebukes and he heals. And what happens? Luke verse 43, they praise the greatness of God. They see God. They see the greatness of God, a power unknown, a power unseen, a power to destroy everything that stands against God and his beloved people. In this act, we see that these two pictures here, Jesus revealed in his glory 
and his majesty. And Jesus here, rebuking, driving out, and healing the boy, both show his power that is exclusively his. Without him, we can truly do nothing. When we start to understand this, this is the main thing, isn't it? To understand that without him, we can do nothing. We start to glimpse how great our Savior is, how much love he has for us, how much compassion he has on the world, how angry he gets against injustice, how, how cross he gets when people suffer unnecessary. This is not a God who stands back and just goes, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. We have an immense privilege given by him to declare this and in prayer to bring about change. In prayer to bring about change. That is what we need to remember. It is not our power, but in God's amazing divine plan beyond us, we are included in this and our role is prayer. To ask the Father, to ask him for help. What's Jesus doing here? Let's read verse 43b to 45, the next bit. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. You can imagine, can't you? The crowd is going nuts. Absolutely nuts. You can picture it. There's not just a few. There's hundreds of them. They are going crazy. This boy is healed. The father is weeping at joy of his son is healed and free. The family, maybe extended family, are there rejoicing. Imagine him being lifted up on their shoulders and they're whooping and they're celebrating. And the disciples are getting so excited. They don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah, go the power of God. And we're with Jesus, and he just did it. And in it, he says, Listen! What does he say? I'm about to tell you the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He's going to be delivered. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be stripped. He's going to be whipped. All they've seen, this current mood, is going to change. And we read they were afraid. They were certainly disturbed by what he said. They were like, you can imagine it, can't you? This crowd is going crazy. I have no idea what he's talking about. The son of man is going to be... It says they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them. They weren't just stupid. (laughs) It says they were, it was hidden. They spiritually couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. But he wanted them to remember. He wanted them to remember that all of this is 
is not what it's about. He's got a bigger thing coming. He's just healed this one boy. He's freed this one boy from the power of a demonic force. What he is about to do, the climax, the reason he's come is to free the world from that. Not just one boy, the world. And that is what he wants them to remember. He wants them to keep focusing on this. Maybe they don't understand it now. And we need to remember, don't we, that it's God that opens eyes. We know for ourselves, it wasn't a clever argument that we received. It wasn't uh, a moving testimony, although they are amazing. It wasn't a song that was sung. It was the experience of the power of God opening our eyes to see what we couldn't see. That is what we need to be praying for. We want to pray that God will open people's eyes eyes so that they can grasp it. As we partner with God in his mission, he has set it up, as I said already, in a way that prayer matters. Prayer matters. We cannot just say the right words, do the right things, put on the right shows. Prayer matters. We need the power of God to open ours. What happens next? Verse 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Remember this crowd? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least amongst you all Who is the greatest? Jesus knowing their thoughts. They've totally missed this bit. Jesus says, listen carefully. Look at this. What are they starting to do? They're already planning. Who's going to have this place in the cabinet? I'm going to be sitting here. I'm going to be the chair of health and I'm going to be the minister for defense. This is amazing. God's kingdom is coming. And Jesus takes a child. Now, I don't think it's an accident that he takes a child. He's just healed a child. Just healed a child. Here, he takes a child, someone who is unlikely to be in their cabinet. He is a child that they actually had a go at, but thought, well, that's nothing we can really do about it. It's not that important, is it? He's not that important. He's just a child. It's not really that important. And Jesus says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name, it's important, welcomes me. Whoever really follows me and cares about what I care about, who gets cross about what I get cross about, will care for the lowliest of all, will care for someone that maybe no one else really cares for. Those children, precious and beautiful and created by a God who delights in them and doesn't want pain for them. And he says, the greatest amongst you is found in the one who truly knows that next to Jesus, they are not great at all. The greatest amongst you is found in the one who truly knows that next to Jesus, they are not great at all. So John, picking up on Jesus' words in my name, says, uh, hey, 
hey, uh, you know, we saw someone driving out demons in your names and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Is he going to be great in the kingdom? You know, because we've got our seats already. Uh, what about him? Uh, he just did that in your name. Does he have a place? Because, you know, the cabinet's pretty full now. Not much we can do for them. What do, you, what do you think? What about him? Jesus says, do not stop him. Whoever is not against you is for you. This man who they're talking about does what they failed to do. He did it in Jesus' name. He drew on the power of Jesus' name. Maybe they tried different things because they had done it already. Jesus had commissioned them and given them his power and said, go out. But this man has done what they had failed to do. This man brings glory and honor to Jesus' name. What concern is it of the disciples? Jesus wants them the same way. He doesn't want them comparing with each other. He doesn't want them to be pushing forward to get the best places, worrying about what people will think about them. He wants them interested in what people think about him. He wants us interested in what people think about him. Concern for Jesus' greatness alone stops us being concerned for what others think of us and our church. It stops us casting judgment on others of whether we think they should be in or out of our club, whether we think they deserve the power or not. An interest in Jesus' glory alone recognizing it comes from him. We can do nothing without him. Stops us saying things like, but we followed him and they're not even in our club. It stops us saying, um, you know, we teach the Bible. I'm not sure that they even know the Bible yet. Uh, Can they really have that power? It stops us being frustrated, saying, but I've been praying for that person for 20 years, and I taught them the Bible, and I did this, and then that person comes along, and they just led them to Christ. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) We need to care about what Jesus cares about and what people think about him and not us. We need to care nothing for our own greatness, but totally for his greatness. The way that he is passionate about things, the way that he gets angry about things. We need to be the same. The way that he shows tenderness to children who no one else wants to show tenderness to, we show tenderness to. And as we start our next era in this building, we want to be praying, don't we, that we'll care nothing for our own greatness or our own name, or our own miracles, but that only people would see his greatness, his power, his love, his compassion, and his anger and justice, and his truth, however he chooses to do that. And it's in this attitude of mind that we gain that freedom that we talked about at the beginning, free from being concerned about what others people think about us or our church or what we're doing or what we're not doing. We become free from that. 
Because all we're interested in is what people think about him. It stops us from self-worship or need of approval from others. We need only their approval of Jesus. And as we care about this, we care that Jesus is worshipped and that people approve of him. Let's pray. Jesus, we want you to be glorified in this place. We want your name to be honored. We want people to marvel at what you can do. Father, forgive us for the times when we give up because we think just things don't work or we can't do it or it's too hard for us. Please forgive us for those times when we stop depending on you and recognizing the power that you have. And Father, we ask in the words of that father, of that son, we say, we believe, help us overcome our unbelief. Help us overcome it, Jesus. Set us free from caring what other people think, but only to care what you think and what people think about you. Lord, we want to ask that as a community, you'd lead us over the next few months and years and decades into a church that is passionate about seeing people see you. Please help us with that. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen.